these are intense work environments where people work damn hard it's high pressure there's a lot going on but people are making magic inside that because the people who are there feel like they belong give a shit and want to be a part of that you're listening to one more question the podcast by the people of nice work one of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we just ask you one more question? And that's the antithesis of what this podcast is. It's about sharing the best conversations we've had with significant creators, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating purposeful brands. This season is focused around unpacking the topic of purpose, exploring what purpose means in its many forms, and we share how people are using purpose to build great companies and successful brands. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on One More Question, I'm talking to two exceptional people, Brad Shawkind and Andy Golden. Andy is an employee experience specialist. Said in normal words, she helps businesses to stay relevant. She does this by getting them to build cultures where the experience actually switches people on. The driver behind her work is that she's worked in some very awful environments as well as some awesome ones. And this led her to the thought that work doesn't have to suck. Her partner in this, Brad, is an agitator and a thought provoker. He started his career as an architect where he worked for 15 years and he discovered that he had a passion for entrepreneurship. He's had over 20 businesses until settling on this one, Still Human. Still Human helps business leaders to make exceptional employee and customer engagement. You can read a lot more about this in a book they co-authored called We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. Enjoy. Today in the second of our three-part series, we're talking about belonging. And more importantly, how to get a group of people to feel that they're aligned to a single purpose and to all work in a single direction. And if we can get this right, how that leads to a higher level of discretionary effort, people having psychological safety at work and ultimately performing on a higher level. We discuss things like fear and how it retards creativity and how you can get people into a heart space so that ultimately they can pass on this amazing feeling to the clients that they serve. Enjoy. Okay. Audience. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast again. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Again. 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 You did such a good job that we thought we'd have you back a second time. We signed a three-series contract. Yeah, well, that one's still it's that thing. Like you, yeah. We might cancel the series and find another another actor to do another three. The pilot went well, though. Yes. Um, so you you were talking about this this uh, concept of like a culture fit, and that there's potentially other ways of thinking of that that like term as a culture fit. Will you share just a little bit about that? Yeah, so what we often hear organizations do when they're employing is they say, we're looking for people who are culture fit. And there's an assumption that means we'll all get on, we'll be like-minded, we'll all be kind of the same. And there's, there's a whole lot of theory in recruitment as well that people often employ people that are a lot like themselves. You see, there's a relatedness. I like this person because they like me. The culture fit thing is a little bit limiting though because now you've got a whole lot of the same. So we rather have a look at what we talk about in terms of culture ad. So have a look for what might a person add in terms of magic, value, experience to your culture. But there does need to be an overlap and alignment as well. So it's really important for an organization to understand what are the things that matter to us. So the values construct and to look for those same uh, values in people we're looking to bring into our organization. Because then you're going to have flow around a couple of 
key um, uh, things that matter. And then you give them the space because you've got the alignment to bring their magic. And what that does is heightens everybody's experience because now you've got a whole lot of people who are aligning around what matters, but each person's allowed to be unique and independent around all the other stuff. And in bringing their magic, they also bring new ways of thinking, new ways of doing, new ideas. And if you're looking to build an innovative culture, trying to remain relevant, that's exactly what you're looking for. People who can come straight out of left field with great ideas that you might not ever have thought of, but are still aligned along kind of the same fundamental DNA that you are. But isn't innovation for the innovation department? You have that like scum quirks <laughs> in your company where all the innovation happens. With, with the How green successful touch has the, yeah <laughs> yeah? Let, let me ask you this: well, Have you ever met an innovation department that's been wildly successful? I want to say Google, but I can't actually think. But why. Google's not oh. an innovation department. Google is a company. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a company, but now there's a great point. It's a company that has set itself up as the stereotypical innovation department where it's invited that you should think it's invited that you should participate huge amount of work is done to create that it's psychologically safe to experiment to risk to explore all in the intention of advancement of progress and, and they have free friday or i think it's called where on friday afternoon time. um you can work on anything you choose so and the point of that is that you don't have to work on projects. If you've got an idea, you've got something you want to dabble with, go for it and bring it to the leadership, bring it to whoever you want to show it to. And great ideas have, have come out of that. The 20% time is actually interesting because they realized that it wasn't working to have a specific time. So it's just become the way that they do things. Ah. But what I was going to say is you talk about Google as the quintessential innovation department. Go back and look at the way that they hire their entire hiring and recruitment strategy is fundamentally based around looking for culture ad. They've got a very clear distinction on these are the things that we need for people to fit, and this is what we look for for people to add. Mm. And their entire hiring philosophy in his book, uh, Work Rules, Laszlo Bach talks in depth about the way and how they hire. And the hiring process is so rigorous, their process around getting the right people and looking for the right things it's it's exceptional and that's how they that's how they've built an entire business that is an innovation department do you think you can have that same rigor as a smaller organization or an organization that doesn't have the same kind of credence that google does you know so so google can be very stringent in how they hire because they've got a thousand applicants of the highest quality all banging down the door but they've been that stringent since they were hiring employees one two three four and five it's been a fundamental part of their philosophy since the day that they started. Um, I forget his name, but it's the founder of Workday. He, he created Workday, and his entire philosophy was that the first 150 people that you hire, your cultural co-founders, and those are, you know, be very, very, very careful about the people who you let into your business because those are the people who will help perpetuate the business and you know, they, they will translate the culture to the people who become their employees, the people that they lead and manage. So, yes, absolutely, you can be that discerning and you absolutely should be that discerning with your very first hires. There's also, there's a, almost a misconception that small organizations don't need to have all of that rigor and the extremes of policy and procedure and intentionality around that stuff. 
But the thing is, you don't know what a small organization might become. Every organization started off as a small organization. So we talk about start as if you're a thousand big and get that stuff in place early because it's really hard to walk back down the line, rejig it all, reestablish uh, the protocols around people and around cults and around values and, and all this soft stuff that, that's really hard. But there comes a point where it's extremely difficult to, and that point's not that far down the road. You know, at, at three, four, five people, you've already got a, a culture that's really bubbling and brewing and setting its ways. So yeah, start as if you're a thousand big is a really important mindset. And that culture is setting its ways. Either It's either being set deliberately by you mm. or it's happening in spite of you. But either way, there is a okay. culture happening. Yeah. There's always a culture when always. there's more than one person. Always. Mm. I suppose there's probably even a culture when you have your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so the other thing we're talking about was this idea of belonging. Um, you know, like looking for culture belonging. Can you, you know, what, what do you mean by, by having people belong to an organization? So we talk about culture fit versus add, which is, you know, a place where people, they fit here and they add to our culture. But we also want to create a place where people feel like they belong. You know, you can fit into something, but you can fit into that overly tight pair of skinny jeans by scrambling around on the bed for a while and sucking it in when you have to do the button up. Or you can, you know, find that pair of jeans that just fits perfectly. And it's not a struggle to get in. It's, you know, those, those, are, those become your, your favorite jeans. And that's what we talk about with, uh, with belong. You know, it's a, we don't want to have to force fit people into a culture. You don't want to, it's never going to be comfortable. It's never going to work well. How do you create a place where the right people feel like they belong? And that's kind of, really it. Kind of like if you're forced to fit somewhere, there's a good chance you don't want to be there. But if you feel like you belong, there's a very good chance that you do want to be there. And that's the start of a great experience. Is actually wanting to be there and having a, an energetic resonance with the place. If you feel like you belong, a place you want to keep going back to, you want to contribute to, um, as opposed to force, there's no desire to contribute. It's uncomfortable to be forced. Mm. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's much more comfortable and it's, it's, it's much more conducive to good thinking, good experience when you feel like you belong, you don't feel forced into something. If you take the word force away from fit, you could also get a natural fit. A natural fit is where you probably have natural belonging. Just ease and flow. So not skinny jeans, natural not fit skinny jeans. jeans. <laughs> yeah. Or you could be skinny and wear your skinny jeans. Well, that's just, and, and, and that works perfectly. But what doesn't work perfectly is when you're not skinny and wear your skinny jeans. That's a fashion faux pas. But I no. just, just want to apologize to anyone who does wear skinny jeans and they feel like they don't fit into them. I think you're beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> and everyone, everyone appreciates you for who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> so, so I think there's, there's also this element of, you know, part of what we were talking about, um, you know, in the previous episode was around kind of what's expected of you and, and how you understand what's expected of you. And I think, you know, in belonging, it touches on a little bit of that, that you you know what's expected of you. So in order to belong to this thing, there's a, a contract or a an unsaid or a said agreement that happens that this is what it's going to cost, you know, to be here, to be part of this group, to to join in. Um, and, and why do you think people like that, that kind of understanding? And for clarity... Contracting is such a, an interesting terminology there. Clarity creates 
clarity of expectation. Because most relationships break because of a lack of delivery of expectation or assumption around expectation. So if we're trying to create a place where you have flow, you have good relationships, you have communication, you have trust, that um, clarity of, of what belonging is, what is it that I'm agreeing to, what, what is the exchange, what are you giving me, what am I giving you, uh, is a really good way of cementing that belonging. But at the same time, I mean, I'm bouncing around here, fit can also come with a contract. Be forced to be here and as a contract, but it's almost more of a grudge exchange as opposed to the, the natural contract of this is the clarity of expectation. Yeah, it's a, one comes with a lot of discomfort and mm. it's, hard, mm. it's hard to be creative and make magic inside discomfort. You know, if, if, there's, a, if there's a natural fit, natural belonging, it's a lot easier to want to show up and want to contribute. It's, I mean, if I think of some of the best company cultures that we've ever seen, where they're looking very intentionally for people who belong and culture belong, it's not an easygoing, come and go, through through soft culture. Mm. It's, these are intense work environments where people work damn hard. It's high pressure. There's a lot going on. But people are making magic inside that because the people who are there feel like they belong give a shit and want to be a part of that. I sat in a, in a session last year with a leader who did something amazing. The two teams, uh, this is in a, in a media space, and one team is a very high-performing team. They're getting this stuff done. They're shooting the lights out. The other team's not shooting the lights out, not getting this stuff done. And we prepped how the CEO was going to handle this. And the team that is performing, they are a team, you can kind of see there's a sense of, of belonging. They, they're very comfortable. They, they feel safe without a doubt. The others, you can see there's a discomfort. There's a, a dis-ease amongst the team, the ones who are not uh, achieving the goals or the, the objectives. And in the session, this team session with both teams, the CEO said, so what's going on? And she pointed, showed the figures up on a chart and said, why are these guys getting what they're looking to achieve and you're not? And the team that's not delivering said, we don't have enough time. And she looked across the others and said, but you've got the exact same amount of time as each other. And what started to come through, there's certain behaviors that the team which doesn't feel like they belong start to exhibit. For example, the amount of hours spent on the smoking balcony. Now, those are not constructive behaviors, and there will be a lot of dis debate around that. But she said to them, okay, cool, we've got a contract. If I was to go back to your contract, it says you're going to deliver X amount of days of work and X amount of delivery of impact. And in return for that, I'm going to pay you X. Now, I've done the maths. And between you, you're stealing X amount of days each of my company time that I'm paying you. What would happen at the end of the month if I deducted that of your salary? You're taking it from me, I'll take it from you. It was shock and horror at the, how can you even think about doing that? She said, well, what are you doing out there on the balcony? It's my time. You don't have to be out there. 20 minutes an hour was what she worked out. And when we really started to peel away the layers, what came through was they feel like when they go out there, they get a bit of connection. The connection's not happening in the office. It's out there and they're connecting with each other as smokers. That has nothing to do with the company or company benefit. There's just something missing inside and they're going and connect. And it's the one team, the other team don't smoke. It's a really interesting dynamics there. But it starts to play out in, in how we are as human beings. And it's an escape. But it was impacting their, their results to the point that some of them could have got fired. So it's quite, there's little nuances of complexity in all of it, lack of belonging. And I suppose in order to belong, you almost need to align on, on what matters to you. And I think you were talking around in the beginning 
around finding those things that that are non-negotiable or those behaviors or, or attributes that you need in a human and they don't mm. need to just have those they can have a whole bunch of others but you need those um and do you think that comes back to this idea of purpose and having a like an organization that's aligned on its purpose and understands what's what the mark is that it's going to make onto the world absolutely how else do you go out looking for people who can be brilliant are brilliant you know if you if you're looking for people who are going to bring magic to your company how do you know what magic looks like if you haven't first asked the question what are we here to achieve what is the purpose of this business and if you're trying to create a culture of belonging what is the thing that people are belonging to you know how do you show up every day to help achieve help this organization achieve something if the organization doesn't even know what it wants to achieve flip that around and if you have as an organization have a strong purpose we are here to make the best widgets ever and people show up if you can you can hire people um that say guys this is what we want to do we want to make the best most high tech most impressive widgets that have ever been created it's something that first of all people can get excited about people can show up i as the employee can show up every single day going this is what i'm helping this company achieve you know google's um stated purpose was we exist to make all of the world's information searchable now as an employee showing up that's an amazing thing to belong to to show up every single day to help make all of the world's information searchable yeah that's really really powerful and that purpose you can't you can't build a culture until you've really articulated purpose and you can't then start to hire for culture fit and add before you've articulated purpose and you certainly can't hire and try and create a place where people belong before you yourself have clarity on what is it that they belong to mm. what is it that they're showing up for towards inside of all of that so now what are the benefits to to a, like a, a team member who's joining something and they have this feeling of belonging like what are what are the the perks of belonging to an organization as opposed to fitting in it I think belonging is it's a huge contributor to employee experience creating a great experience for people because I'm first of all, I'm not just showing up to do a job every day I'm showing up to do something that matters to me that's meaningful it creates gas this sense of give a shit you know I actually really give a shit about showing up every day to help make all of the world's information searchable it's um it gives me something to align to my team members about i know that we're all rowing the boat in the same direction and in addition to that the guys in finance who i never really have anything to do with and now know we've you know we're all we're all moving in the same direction we're aligned and i can go you know we we can we can use that as a way to understand each other's worlds so much better because this is what they need to do to make this happen this is how they're helping to do it this is how i'm helping to do it but it creates a languaging a way of being a way of doing inside an organization that everyone can kind of attach to and do you think that makes people feel safe absolutely and that's i think you know Brad's alluded to the psychological safety and this idea of creating an environment where i feel safe i feel like the people that i work with every single day have my back they what you know that i i can try new things i can share my ideas i can have my say and i'm not going to get ridiculed or 
you know, get taken out, get thrown under the bus. And that, that psychological safety, if we're talking about creating companies that are innovative, relevant, and in a world that's changing so, so fast, if people don't feel psychologically safe, they cannot in any way, shape, or form contribute anything above bare minimum. Because when you're in watch my back mode the whole time, there's no room for creativity. I think it, it is a, it's, a, it's a dynamic cycle. I think that creating a sense of belonging may, allows people to feel safe, but I think that creating a sense of safety allows people to feel like they belong. So it's a, it's a loop constantly. And as, as leaders, as work colleagues, we need to be doing the work in terms of thinking about how we show up. Is what I'm doing right now, this moment I'm about to create, is it going to make somebody feel vulnerable moving forward or are they going to feel safe? If somebody makes a mistake, for example, in the interest of learning something new, trying something new, and they really screw it up badly, how does a colleague or the leader handle that moment? Do you publicly shame them? Do you kill them? Do you chop off their head? Because they never, ever, in that moment, um, the, the, the scar that gets left is they're not going to try something new again. So you've just lost a mind, potentially, and maybe a heart, because they stop caring. Uh, you've also created fear in them, which now is creating a whole chemical release that shuts it down even further. So in that one moment, you've just eliminated completely their sense of belonging. But also, what's the ripple effect on everyone else around them? People are watching this going, shit, what if that was me? What if I had done that? So now you have a whole lot of the cycle of fear starts to perpetuate through the business because of that one moment. On the flip side, if we go, okay, cool, hold on. That sucked. Let's have a look at what did we do we need to do differently next time? What do we learn? And when this happens again, how do we prevent? How do we prevent that this happens again? you're now starting to invite people to think, to participate, to be part of creating the safety. And this might seem like really hard work, and it actually is, because it's much easier. We've almost been conditioned to go looking for who, whose head's going to roll. We've got to kill somebody. Someone's got to die. No, that's not going to create that any, any intelligence gets released moving forward or gets uh, shared moving forward. So all of that creates, I belong here or I don't belong here. I want to be here. I don't want to be here. I feel safe to contribute. I don't feel safe to contribute. Times by how many people are impacted by it. Times by the story they tell at the water cooler. And this is where organizations are. Or on the smoking balcony. Or on the smoking balcony, stealing time. (laughs) And this is where organizations are are, are built and broken. And what people don't realize is this is that that human piece, but this is having a direct influence and impact on organizational output. And many huge organizations, they go, we're still making money anyway. In spite of, and, and big, big, and we see this inside big businesses, yeah, we still make lots of money. What more would become possible in terms of, A, how much money they could make, B, how much more relevant they could remain in a world that's where relevance is becoming more and more challenging, and C, how much more of a difference are they making? Because when, when you're an idiot, so somebody who works with you or for you as a leader or a colleague, and by an idiot, I mean you, you don't treat somebody well. You break their belonging. They take that energy home with them as well. That gets unleashed on a family, on a kid. It's a much bigger conversation than just moments at work. It's a much bigger conversation. Moments of humaning. It's moments of humaning. And it's where we spend the bulk of our waking week is at work. So, yeah, belonging is a a critical subject. So so let me take the the selfish approach. So, you know, you're saying that this is something that people should be investing in is kind of creating this culture of belonging and it's not going to happen accidentally and it's going to require energy and effort and it's probably at least in the short term the harder the harder route 
what are the benefits to a leader of a, a, a company or an organization or a team or whatever? What are the benefits to them of creating the sense of belonging outside of obviously them themselves being part of that team and feeling belonging? Like what are the benefits to them on a selfish level? So when you, when you started Nice Work, how long could you do it all yourself for? Forever, but I'm a humanitarian, so I've hired other people to help lift them. Okay, no, I'm true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't even, we didn't even start it alone. I started it with two partners, so not even from... from and how long, how long was it until you guys needed other people to help you do what you were trying to do? It's about a year and a half, yeah. And, so, and that's exactly what happens with companies, is you've, you've got founders have a vision of something that they want to achieve. And it gets to a point where you actually, you need other hands on deck. You need other bodies helping make this happen. And if you don't create an environment where those people belong, how, for how long are they out there helping you build what, you aim, what you're aiming to achieve? If there's no purpose that everybody's aligning to, if there's no sense of I'm psychologically safe here, I can actually bring Ross my great ideas. I can bring Ross my great thinking. I can help take this organization forward. How long can it all, you know, how, how much, how, how long is everybody rowing the boat in the same direction for? And so as a leader, it's critical because it's, it's one of the most powerful tools for getting shit done fast and well. You know, because you've got everybody showing up because they care. They give a damn to actually make this happen. They're going to do it well because they've invested heart space and heart energy into this. If they don't, they're just going to do the bare minimum that they need to to get it done, and that's if they, if you know, if there's not that sense of belonging as a leader. If you're just if you're leading from a place of uh, creating fear for people, you can't perform well when you're in fight or flight mode. That's just the way that human beings are. Either we're in fight or flight, or we're in rest and relaxation. If you're being if you're being led from a place of fear and you're, you're in this environment where you're scared the whole time and you're watching your back, you can't be creative, you can't think well, you're not good at problem solving. It's just it's physiologically what happens. You know, if, you're, if you've got um, cortisol and adrenaline coursing through you, you're doing everything you can to just survive. But if it's dopamine and serotonin, you can be creative, you can think of things differently, you can actually relate well to other people, not being like, in fight or flight mode, whoa, I think other people are out to get me and everybody's conspiring against me. And so that, I think, is why leaders, it's, it's critical to create the sense of belonging, not the sense of I am the tyrant and you are my serfs. So, so you think if people are, are in survival mode, they can't create? So I think you could simplify it as the almost three states of work. One is people who are not even delivering the bare minimum and they're just getting away with murder and, and cruising by putting stuff under the carpet and hiding in the shadows. And the corporate world is filled with those people. We see it everywhere. Um, and I say that unapologetically because then they still want their bonus at the end of the month, end of the year, uh, and are horrified when they get scored or whatever the, the weird scoring systems are. Then you get people who are just doing the bare minimum, just what's required to get by kind of in survival mode, um, just going through the motions. And then you get people who are shooting the lights out, switching, being switched on, growing. But people who don't feel like they belong 
may still need the job. So I'm going through the motions. I'm giving you just what I need to be okay. And organizations kind of don't do anything about that. They're happy the job's getting done. But no organization is going to win in the competitive markets we work in these days without people shooting the lights out as well. And you've got to have those people. But those people are only going to do it if they feel comfortable, if they feel safe. If part of your intention as a leader is to be switching people on, switching them on means that they care, that they are motivated, inspired, they see the vision, they connect to the purpose. And growing means that they are being invited to think and participate and contribute intellectually. Ideally, you want to be building an organization where that's the bulk of what's happening. People give a shit, they feel connected, and they're being invited to think. I mean, what was the quote we saw yesterday? Uh, Muppet, Jim Henson. He Machine. said, "People should work. Uh, people Machine should, should machines should work. People, people should, should think. think." Yeah. Now, people should also obviously work, but machines shouldn't be doing the, the, the thinking. The, the businesses that are going to win are ones that are inviting intelligent human beings to think about how the world can be better and how organizations can be better. No one's thinking if they don't feel like they belong and like they're safe. No one's thinking. Interesting. Um, I mean, one of the one of the other things you can belong to is this idea of you know you hear it a lot like a, a family. So you know our business is like a family. Um, and, and sorry if your business is like a family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's actually it's it's said a lot like you know and you see it on on many kind of job specs. People are like we're a family here. Um, you know we we had one of the earlier speakers on our, our podcast was an, a woman named Cesar Kele. And she, she, she had an analogy of a village that, that she wants her, her business to be like a village because uh, a family you can't choose. Yeah. And you don't necessarily always enjoy your family. A lot of families are tolerated. Um, you know, and you kind of get together. And there's this sense of foreboding dread when you're like, oh, there's this birthday party and everybody. Auntie Eileen's going to be there. And, you know, we all know what happens when she has two glasses of wine. Um <laughs> So, so what do you, I mean, what is your take on, on that idea of like people using this language of family or, or village? I always wonder when was the last time you retrenched a family member? Um, because and I, I don't think that family is, the, I completely agree with you, I don't think family is the right analogy in mm. any way, shape or form. Um, the village is, is a new analogy to me and I, I really like it. I think the analogy that I, that I enjoy is that of a high-performing sports team, you know, because a high-performing sports team has a very clear goal um, Brad and I have been chatting a lot about Liverpool currently and the culture that's been created, and I'm sure Brad can can share more on that. But as a sports team, you've um, you know you've got a clear objective as to why we are here. This is the purpose that we are here to serve, and the right training happens. Everybody shows up, everybody pulls their weight, and if you don't pull your weight, you get dropped from the team, and so it creates this high functioning environment and. You know, we're, we're talking about building cultures in companies that are competing in highly competitive, fast-paced, fast-moving environments. And that's why I like this idea of a sports team. It ties in quite well because, you know, we've got to keep this pace up. We've got to keep up. We've, you know, we've got to try new tactics, bring in new players, look for talent, and, and, and. And so, yeah, family... I don't think it's a great analogy to use for, for building culture or building great experiences for, for your employees, personally. So you should be looking for culture add to your sports team and not culture fit to your family. What? To, to, to <laughs> add on to that, we, we talk about partnership. And partnership is about having each other's backs. No matter what, and you all know it. So there's a, that sense of security, you know it. No matter what, 
It's incorruptible, having each other's backs. Families don't always have each other's backs. In fact, very often not. It's kind of like another team you could, another high-performing team could be the, the Navy SEALs. There's nothing bigger than having each other's backs. I mean, that's what it's all about. I've got your back and you know it. So, but there, there's a, and I, again, I talk cautiously to get the details right, but there's a thing there whereby if you know one of your, your teammates is misbehaving or is doing something that they shouldn't be doing, if you know about it and you don't do something about it, whether that means whether actually deal with it Stab them with or bring it to, you're watching too many TV shows, <laughs> or bring it to the leadership's attention. This is for you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not to be a tittletale, but you, if you are found to be complicit in any way, um, your punishment is double what theirs is because not doing something about it was not having their back. And so it creates this accountability for holding a space of quality. Our families don't do that. So, but all of these examples, in one way or another, you can see how there's an intentionality around an, an ethic of, of quality, of experience, of connectedness. So that's really what we're talking about here. Is it's just a better place for humans to human better. Mm, yeah. The problem usually is crap leadership. That's usually it's leaders who don't apply their minds, energy, or time to actually setting intention and we, we were we andy had a, a meeting this morning we we're just talking over lunch about the quality of the human being that's leading this business unashamedly commercial they're there to make money they're a financial services business i mean i mean that's the, the essence of yeah. it but the the leader is hell-bent on on it being an environment that's amazing for the human beings over there whilst making truckloads of money all over all over the world um but it just shows up in the human being and again, it's not a company that they, you know, they don't have Friday drinks and it's not this very like soft frou-frou culture that, you know, often comes to mind when, when you say hell-bent on people having a good experience, people think of the soft stuff and the... Mm. Foosball table. You foosball throw a foosball tables. table in the corner. <laughs> I, you know, I've sat with most of the people in that company delicious. and spoken to them. <laughs> they work damn hard. Yeah. They've got guys who, and, and here's an example of this belonging, give a shit, discretionary effort thing. They've got guys who, they, they might have launched something new for a provider in another country. Because of time zone differences, the launch, the computer can only make it do its thing at three o'clock in the morning. The team gets up to check it, not because they have to, because they choose to, and they want to make sure that they don't experience unnecessary downtime. And that's really telling, you know, so, and, they, and they don't even tell anyone. There was, we, you know, we were sharing stories of the guys, their bosses don't actually know that they got up at three o'clock in the morning and have been up since three to check that that new connection went online seamlessly, just to make sure that there were eyes on it. And that for me, that, that's that discretionary effort. The, that's what you get when you create a great place for the best people to come to. You create a place where they feel like they belong where they're psychologically safe, they then are the ones who choose to, of their own volition, get up and make sure that things are happening. And that's where you as an organization, that's that margin for magic. You know, you can be doing the bare minimum, getting it done, but you create that margin for making magic, that comes from the human beings and their contributions and the level of gas, give a shit that they have. I think, I mean, if you'll, you'll humor me, I think this also, uh, you know, because I, I always think about this stuff as the externally facing 
component. Like this is for me, it's all about like building brands and having meaningful communication with potential customers or existing customers. And I think if you have this belonging right, people pass that on. So any engagement that any of your customers or clients or consumers, whatever word you use to describe them have, if they engage with a member of your company, they they have an experience that's amplified because you can feel you can feel it we've all had that that moment of service where you've dealt with someone and you're like wow this guy really loves his job yeah or you know like really like really gives a shit like and that's that feeling from an interaction a one-on-one interaction with a human is then actually attributed back to the brand or the company it's not attributed to oh you know brad's a really good guy it's like this company Mm-hmm. this is great this is a great product this is a great service because in that moment the company is actually that human being you know when i'm dealing with a waiter i'm not i'm not dealing with spur i'm dealing with that human being but in that moment that human being is spur yeah kind of thing um that the the margin for magic thing the the story i was, t- I was chatting about just now is the it's the the joshy story from ritz carlton little boy family goes on holiday four-year-old kid, four-year-old leaves his little toy at the hotel, his little Joshy the giraffe. The family get home that night, the kid's hysterical, he's never once gone to sleep without this teddy. Dad, in a moment of panic, says, Joshy's coming back soon, he just stayed on holiday a bit longer. Now, he phones the Ritz-Carlton and says, guys, I need your help. My son's left his toy there, and I've had to say to him, I've told him a white line, said that Joshy has stayed on holiday a little bit longer. Now, here's where the margin for magic comes in. The Ritz-Carlton guys could have said, okay, cool, we'll go look for the teddy, stuck it in a box and sent it to the family. Instead, they said, they heard what he said. I've told my son that Joshy stayed on holiday for a bit longer. And they went, okay, cool, we'll find Joshy and then. And what they did is they then took this, this little giraffe plush toy, fluffy toy, and put him in different situations around the hotel. So they they stuck him on a lounger and took a photo. They put him on a spa bed having a massage and put cucumbers on his eyes and took a photo. They put him in the security control room and took a photo. They made him his own security tag um, badge and took a photo. And when they sent Joshy back to the family, they didn't just send the teddy in a box. They sent the teddy and a photo album in the box, which kind of shared the story that the dad had told the son, you know, Joshy stayed on holiday a little bit longer. And that that story, not only did it create lifelong um, loyalty for that family to Ritz-Carlton, but it's been shared millions and millions and millions of times. And it creates this positive sentiment, this amazing sense of the customer service and level of give a shit at the Ritz-Carlton. Took 25 minutes of their time, but made exponential impact externally yeah and i suppose what what makes that special is you can't tell people to do that yeah you can't instruct them like guys listen when somebody leaves their plush toy at the hotel this is the policy (laughs) this is the the thing that you follow and it's the same as the the two three o'clock in the morning wake up as a leader you kind of get this feeling i need to make sure that someone's gonna check Versus you don't even have that thought because you know you've created that environment where mm. it's just how it is that you know people are caring and they're going to wake up. 
And they're two very different extremes because otherwise at that leader, you go into micromanagement mode and you live. Although very often micromanagement mode can create the exact opposite, the, the lack of gas. Mm. So yeah, the level of, we talk a lot about intentional personalized leadership, but actually thinking about every single human being and how am I creating that they feel like they belong? How am I switching them on? Because most leaders come to work in the morning, they're chasing the dollar, which is important. It's why we stay in business. Uh, it's how we stay in business. It's not necessarily why we stay in business. I mean, I think that's a, a lovely place to end off, um, you know, sort of taking this idea of purpose and, and using it to create the foundation of something that people can belong to. Mm-hmm. I think if you, if you do that, you create that belonging. And if you create that belonging, you get all of this magic that comes with it. You get people who work really hard, who put in extra effort, who use their their brains and not just do what they're told. And, and that then extends beyond the the, in, the internal of the company and starts to actually affect the customers. And then people talk about it on podcasts, even though they've never stayed at a Ritz-Carlton. How do you know? <laughs> Have you stayed at a Ritz-Carlton? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe you will. And it'd be interesting to see if you left your Joshi there, if they would do the same for you. Yeah. Phone them up, be like, listen, I told my son that his Joshi had $20,000 and was coming back. And then you tell your son's Joshi's dead. (laughs) Um, Awesome. But thank you so much for the the conversation. I think it it leads a lot to, to, to think about, especially this idea about how what's happening internally will be mirrored mirrored externally whether you whether you want to create a positive thing or a negative thing because it's up to your control Mm. absolutely cool thank you thank you very much thank you see you soon goodbye Cheers. cheers thank you for listening in the words of carlos corbian sharing knowledge is an obligation so if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast please send it on to them This is our second season, and we'd be super grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button. And if you think we're worth it, give us a review. We welcome feedback, good or bad. We release an episode every two weeks. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a purpose-led branding company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you'd like to further this conversation, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're a little bit old school, let us know, and we'll make you a mixtape.